to zoom in on a map of central Oklahoma, east of Oklahoma City, you would find, tucked between the rivers and cornfields and vast expanses of the Great Plains, the small towns of Prague and Shawnee, Oklahoma. There used to be another town between Prague and Shawnee, a town named Belmont, a town that is no more. It is here, near and south of Belmont and Potawatomi County, along the banks of the North Fork River that two parents, both of mixed ancestry, welcomed twin boys into the world on May 22, 1887. The twins' father, Hiram, had an Irish father and a mother who was a member of the Sac and Fox Nation. And so, the twin boys would be raised as members of the Sac and Fox Nation. Since both of the parents were devout Roman Catholics, the twins were also baptized. One of the twins was baptized as Jacobus Franciscus Thorpe. He also was given a name in the Algonquian language spoken by the Sac and Fox Nation, Wa-to-hook, which translates to path lit by great flash of lightning, or, more simply, bright path. As was the custom for Sac and Fox, he was named for something occurring around the time of his birth, in this case, the light brightening the path to the cabin where he was born. Wathohook would go on to lead a life, or walk a path, that was bright at times, a life that would change the world and leave a legacy unlike anyone else. But the path that he had to walk through life was also marred by darkness, prejudice, and discrimination he had to suffer nearly every step of the way. Throughout his life, Wathohook would go by another given name, James Francis, or Jim, Thorpe. This is the story of how one of modern history's most prolific all-around athletes achieved glory despite a huge setback. Had that glory stripped away in one of the biggest travesties in Olympic history, and fought for what was rightfully his to be returned to him, a fight that continues even today, nearly 70 years after Jim Thorpe's death. Thorpe attended the Sac and Fox Indian Agency School in Stroud, Oklahoma, with his twin brother, Charlie. Charlie helped him through school until he died of pneumonia when they were nine years old. Thorpe, clearly unhappy with his circumstances at school, actually ran away from school several times. His father then sent him to the Haskell Institute, an Indian boarding school in Lawrence, Kansas, so that he would not run away again. When his mother died of childbirth complications two years later, he became depressed, and his relationship with his father deteriorated. After several arguments with his father, he left home to work on a horse ranch. In 1904, the 16-year-old Thorpe returned to his father and decided to attend Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. There, his athletic ability was recognized and he was coached by Glenn Scobie, or Pop Warner, one of the most influential coaches of early American football history. Later that year, he became orphaned after Hiram Thorpe, 
his father, died from gangrene poisoning after being wounded in a hunting accident. And Jim again dropped out of school. He resumed farm work for a couple of years and then returned to Carlisle Indian Industrial School. Thorpe began his athletic career in earnest at Carlisle in 1907 when he walked past the track and beat all the school's high jumpers with an impromptu 5-foot 9-inch jump still in street clothes. His earliest recorded track and field results come from 1907. He also competed in football, baseball, lacrosse, and even ballroom dancing, winning the 1912 Intercollegiate Ballroom Dancing Championship. Pop Warner was hesitant, however, to allow Thorpe, his best track and field athlete, to compete in a physical game such as football. Thorpe, however, convinced Warner to let him try some rushing plays in practice against the school team's defense. Thorpe ran around, passed and threw the defenders not once, but twice. He then walked over to Warner and said, Nobody is going to tackle Jim, while flipping him the ball. Thorpe was awarded third-team All-American honors for football in 1908 and named a first-team All-American in 1911 and 1912. Football was, and would remain, Thorpe's favorite sport. He did not even compete in track and field in 1910 or in 1911, even though this turned out to be the sport in which he gained his greatest fame. In the spring of 1912, Thorpe started training for the Olympics. He had confined his efforts to jumps, hurdles, and shot putts, but now he added pole vaulting, javelin, discus, hammer, and 56-pound weight. In the Olympic trials held at Celtic Park in New York, his all-around ability stood out in all these events, and so he earned a place on the 1912 Olympic team that went to Sweden. What's uniquely impressive about this is that Thorpe represented the United States at the Olympic Games 12 years before Native Americans gained U.S. citizenship in 1924. So, Jim Thorpe was off to Sweden, but even with Thorpe's reputation as a standout athlete, he still had to deal with blatant discrimination. On the transatlantic trip to Stockholm, Thorpe and a Jewish teammate were forced to travel in the bottom of the ship, while the white American Olympic athletes received first-class accommodations on the top. His schedule in the Olympics was busy. Along with the decathlon and pentathlon, he competed in the long jump and the high jump. The first competition was the pentathlon on July 7th. He won four of the five events and placed third in javelin, an event he had not competed in before the same year as these Olympics. The one time he had tried to throw the javelin before was in the Olympic trials. At the time, he didn't know that he could throw it with a running start, so he threw it standing still and he still placed second. Although the pentathlon was primarily decided on place points, points were also earned for the marks achieved in the individual events. He won the gold medal. That same day, he qualified for the high jump final, in which he finished in a tie for fourth, and on July 12th, he placed seventh in the long jump. There is an iconic photo showing Jim Thorpe as a member of the U.S. Olympic team. He is standing in his white competition uniform, stars and stripes emblazoned on his chest, his hands on his hips, as he stares almost casually but clearly confident towards the camera. 
But look closely at the photo, and there's something off. You can see that he's wearing different socks and shoes. This wasn't a fashion statement. On the morning of some of his competitions, Thorpe's shoes were stolen. There's lots of theories about why they were missing, or who took them, or what happened. But everyone agrees that the shoes were not misplaced or taken by accident. And at the time, the fact is that he had a matter of minutes to get to the starting line. He frantically asked teammates if they had any extra pairs of shoes that he could borrow. One teammate had an extra shoe. It was too small, but he squeezed his foot into it. And the other shoe he found was in a trash bin. It was too big, and he put on a couple pairs of socks to make that one fit. Then he went out and competed against the greatest decathletes in the world and won. Like, cleaned house and embarrassed the competition. That was just how incredible Jim Thorpe was. Thorpe's final event was the decathlon, his first, and as it turned out, his only, decathlon. Strong competition from local favorite Hugo Wieslander was expected. Thorpe, however, defeated Wieslander by 688 points. He placed in the top four in all 10 events, and his Olympic record of 8,413 points would stand for nearly two decades. Overall, Thorpe won eight of the 15 individual events comprising the pentathlon and decathlon. It was 108 years ago, on July 15, 1912, when Jim Thorpe was bestowed two Olympic gold medals by King Gustav of Sweden at the conclusion of the 1912 Olympic Games, after winning the decathlon and pentathlon in Stockholm. To many Native Americans and non-Native people alike, Thorpe is an iconic hero, so much so that when King Gustav awarded him the two gold medals, the king said to him, You, sir, are the greatest athlete in the world. And all this against incredibly difficult odds, not least of which being having to wear mismatched, ill-fitting shoes pulled from the dumpster. It's hard to imagine now that pro athletes get paid millions of dollars just to wear a particular brand of shoes. For Jim Thorpe, it didn't matter what kind he wore. And as for the person or people responsible for stealing Thorpe's shoes and trying to thwart his Olympic chances, no one is sure who it was, and they will forever be nameless and forgotten, knowing that their silly little plan backfired and only added to the legacy of Jim Thorpe. Now, if Thorpe's Olympic story could end here, it would be a happy ending. But unfortunately, discrimination would rear its ugly head, spoiling Thorpe's Olympic victories. Just a year after the Olympics, in 1913, a newspaper reported that Thorpe had been paid to play minor league baseball in 1909 and 1910. He had been compensated, payment amounting to the cost of his room and board, about $2 per game, in the Eastern Carolina League, playing for the Rocky Mount North Carolina team. Although the public did not seem to care much about Thorpe's past, the Amateur Athletic Union, or AAU, and especially its secretary, James Edward Sullivan, took the case very seriously. Thorpe wrote a letter to Sullivan in which he admitted to playing professional baseball. In Thorpe's own words, quote, I hope I will be partly excused by the fact that I was simply an Indian schoolboy and did not know all about such things. 
In fact, I did not know that I was doing wrong because I was doing what I knew several other college men had done, except that they did not use their own names. And there is proof that during this time, many college players in many different sports would play professional sports in the offseason using aliases. But his letter did not help. The AAU decided to withdraw Thorpe's amateur status retroactively. Later that year, the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, unanimously decided to strip Thorpe of his Olympic titles, medals, and awards and declare him a professional. Although Thorpe had played for money, the AAU and IOC actually did not even follow the rules for disqualification. The rulebook for the 1912 Olympics stated that protests had to be made within 30 days from the closing ceremonies of the Games. The first newspaper reports of Thorpe's playing eligibility did not appear until January of 1913, about six months after the Stockholm Games had concluded. There is some evidence that Thorpe was known to have played professional baseball before the Olympics, but the AAU had ignored the issue until being confronted with it in 1913. The only positive element of this whole affair for Thorpe was that as soon as the news was reported that he had been declared a professional, he started receiving offers from professional sports teams. It would be the beginning of an illustrious career that would include professional football, baseball, and even basketball. Although the world no longer considered him an Olympic champion, according to the official record books, it did not change what Thorpe knew to be true of himself. He said, quote, I won him, and I know I won him. The IOC's decision in 1912 to strip Thorpe's medals and strike out his records was not just intended to punish him for violating the elitist Victorian codes of amateurism. It was also intended to obscure him, and to a certain extent, it succeeded. The IOC erased his records from the Olympic record books. Thorpe's medals and records were stolen from him. Attempts to have the medals returned were not rewarded until 1982, almost 30 years after Thorpe's death in 1953, when replica gold medals were delivered to his family. Even though the gold medals were reinstated, the IOC did not restore Thorpe's records in Olympic history. The note accompanying the replica gold medals stated, quote, The name of James Thorpe will be added to the list of athletes who were crowned Olympic champions at the 1912 Games. Close quote. What's less commonly known is that the IOC appended this small, mean sentence. Quote, However, the official report for these games will not be modified. So, the IOC did not go far enough. To correct this great injustice in sports history, in November 2019, Representative Deb Holand, one of the first American Indian women elected to Congress, introduced a resolution in the U.S. House of Representatives to recognize the achievements of Thorpe, requesting the IOC correct the 1912 Olympic records. The resolution has the support of 20 original co-sponsors in the House. Any person who has represented our country honorably and brought victory home for the United States in the Olympics is an American hero and should be recognized as one. But inherent biases took away that honor from Jim Thorpe. 
This resolution not only recognizes Jim Thorpe for the hero that he is, it also ensures that the records reflect his incredible achievements. Today, 108 years after Thorpe was awarded the Olympic gold medals by King Gustav, PictureWorks Entertainment, the National Congress of American Indians, and several of Thorpe's descendants announced the launch of Take Back What Was Stolen, an initiative to restore Thorpe's status as the sole gold medal champion of the 1912 Olympic decathlon and pentathlon. After Thorpe was stripped of his medals, the athletes he'd beaten had their silver medals elevated to gold. After Thorpe was stripped of his medals, the athletes he'd beaten had their silver medals elevated to gold. The IOC had allowed his competitors to keep their golds even after they had returned Thorpe's medals. He was relegated co-champion. Part of the initiative is the Bright Path Strong petition, which calls for the IOC to take the necessary steps to write history. The Take Back What Was Stolen petition is part of a series of initiatives tied to Bright Path, an upcoming feature film chronicling Jim Thorpe's life and legacy from PictureWorks Entertainment. You can sign the petition at petition.brightpathstrong.com. What I love about Jim Thorpe's story is that for all the hardship, for all the discrimination and darkness, there are still bright spots, still lessons to be learned, and hope for better things. Jim Thorpe's story is a perfect reminder that you don't have to resign to the excuses that have held you back. So what if life hasn't been fair? What are you going to do about it today? Whatever you woke up with this morning, stolen shoes, ill health, failed relationships, personal tragedy, don't let it stop you from running your race. Don't let it define you. You can have reasons or you can have results, but you can't have both. In the words of Jim Thorpe himself, They just keep coming, but that's what keeps me going. Never let the things out of your control dictate who you are. The path of life can bring us into dark patches, moments where we may wonder why we have to go through this. It is easier said than done, but it's also possible to take hold of these moments as opportunities for growth and learning. Keep going, keep fighting, until your path is bright again. And then, the next time one of those dark patches comes, you'll only be stronger than before. Because the hard times will only keep coming, and all we can do is use them as motivation to keep on going. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Immortal Souls podcast. For more information, show notes, pictures, or just to say hi, check us out at immortalsoulspodcast.com, Instagram, or Twitter. Original theme music by Scott Spriggs. Five-star reviews are always helpful and hugely appreciated. Until next time, keep walking the roads less traveled. Chega na maré cheia, é cantiga de bem querer. O sol vive sem amor, eu não vivo sem te ver. Quem chega na maré cheia, é cantiga de
Who's stopping me, huh? Who's stopping me? Keep, keep it going, don't stop for me.